Well, I'm, I'm thankful that you're here today, and what, a, what an amazing day for us. Uh, we, are, we are recognizing 48 graduates today. Is that crazy? Uh, I am so grateful for our preschool ministry, our children's ministry, our student ministry, and, and um, God has blessed us with some incredible leaders as we embrace this responsibility of, of raising kids and helping families raise kids to walk with the Lord. And, and you know, this is, a, I hope you're, you're, you're gracious with me today because one of those seniors is, is my daughter. It's our first one to graduate. And so we're keeping the Kleenexes uh, stocked at our house. Uh, as we saw those pictures today, it's tough to get up and preach after that, I'll be honest. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been interesting as, as we've prepared for our first child to leave our home. And, uh, you know, it's gone so fast. If you have younger kids, uh, it just goes fast. And if, you, if you've done this before, you know what I'm talking about. But this is our first rodeo of seeing our children grow up. But it's been interesting having conversations with Emily. Robin said to me as we're... Right before I walked up, she goes, Emily's not going to go to church here soon. And because, you know, as a pastor's kid, you don't really have a choice of where you go to church, okay? That's just how it is. And, um, but for the first time in our lives, our daughter is going to live somewhere else. And, she's, and so we've been talking about how do you choose a church, and it's been interesting. It's been an interesting conversation in our house. And, and, and you know, um, uh, we need to change something. Because I hear this all the time of, of someone will say, we're, we're church shopping. And, and, and we, you may have said that. And, and I, but, but we need to change that language. That's not good language. We, we, we don't. So, so let's, let's just commit to that today. Let's change that language. Because you don't shop for a church like you're looking for a sweater. Okay, uh, this, this is not a good analogy. Uh, sometimes people choose a church like they would choose a cruise ship, right? Okay, so think about a cruise ship. If you've ever been on a cruise, we're taking our daughter on a cruise here in a couple weeks and, and uh, graduation present. And, and, but, but when you choose a cruise ship, you ask questions like, do I like the captain and do I like the staff? Right? That's a question you ask. You, you think, um, if you saw the love boat, anybody remember the love boat? Okay, you, we all like Captain Stubing, and all of you younger people have no idea what I'm talking about, but just, I'm old, so deal with it. Um, but you ask the question, do, do, do I like the music they play in the ballroom? You ask that question. You, you ask the question, do I get good service and are my needs met? That's a question you ask when you're on a cruise ship. You ask the question like, is it pleasant? Is it comfortable? Um, you ask the question, do, do I like the experience? Will I sail with them again? Okay, that, those are the questions you ask when you're on a cruise ship. Some people attend a church, and those are the questions they ask. But can I tell you a better analogy is not a cruise ship, but it's this. It's a battleship. That's a better analogy when you're looking for a church. And I've, I've asked Emily, hey, when, when, you're, when you move away, don't go church shopping. There are better questions to ask. Like, like for instance, is, is this ship flying the right flag? Are they fighting for the right cause? That, that, that's a question you should ask when you attend a church. 
You should ask the question, does the captain understand that he and the staff serve a higher authority? Do they gladly take their orders from him? That's a better question. That's what a battleship does. You you ask the question, do the officers create opportunities for all crew members to be prepared and successful on their tour of duty? Because we've got a job to do. Are we prepared to do our job? Is, Is each individual given an opportunity to contribute in a significant way to the mission? That's what you need to ask when you attend a church. Hey, are we on a mission here? Um, Not not just circling around the Caribbean, going in circles, but are we on a mission? Because when I read my Bible, I I understand that we're called to a mission. You know, you need to think about, is, is every individual cared for and developed and honored for their efforts? Those are the kind of questions you should ask of a church. And so let's change that analogy. Let's change that terminology, if we can, of, of not saying, let's go church shop, but, but let's make sure that we are a church that's on a mission. And you know, when I think about our church, and I've, I've had to, Robin and I have sat down with Emily, we've processed this a little bit of, as, as she prepares where she's going to go to church for the first time in her life. If she's going to go to church, that's a question. Because we're not going to be there to wake her up. We're not going to be there to go, hey, come on, we're going. The bus is leaving and you're on it. You know, uh, yesterday I was, we were, we've had a really busy weekend with the state tennis tournament and then with graduation and all these things. And, um, and we were at the tennis tournament yesterday and Emily uh, was there and one of my friends said, are you going to let her sleep in tomorrow? Because she did the grad bash. And I'm like, no, we don't sleep in at our house. At our, you know, it's, that's not, and, and you know, that's who we are. We, we come. No matter if we're up all night, Friday night, uh, we come. But you know, for the first time, we as parents are watching our daughter go. And you know, we want her to be prepared. But the truth is, all of us need to be, need to be prepared for the mission that God has called us to. And I pray that we are a church that, that is focused on a mission, that, that we, are, we are standing on the word of God, that, that we will worship together and, and then the world that we live in know who we worship, know that we are surrendered to God, that, that we, are, we are living life together, we're holding one another accountable, we're, we're not just looking at the back of someone's head and coming to be entertained, but we are we are focused and we are helping one another grow. This is why our small groups and Sunday school classes are so valuable. We call it biblical community that we're living life together. That, 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 that we, are, we are focused, we are helping one another understand that we are ambassadors for Christ called to represent Jesus everywhere we go. And that's who we are. Now, this passage that we're in this morning is is kind of a continuation of last week, and it's very important for us, and I pray that we catch it. James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there, because this is such an important passage, and James is writing to his church. And and what is happening, what James, as as the pastor of this church in Jerusalem, is looking at, he's noticing that sometimes his people in his congregation, they're fighting with one another. 
And then they're arguing with one another. And that happens sometimes. That's life. There are going to be many times we disagree. But, but I'll tell you, there are so, I've seen it time and time again that churches are paralyzed with the mission that they're called to because they don't get along with one another. And a lost world can't even see who Jesus is through some of these churches that fight because, because they, they just notice the fighting. I constantly run into people that, that will say, I used to go to church, but I don't anymore because they were a part of a church split. Or uh, I, I went to a church business meeting and people treated each other badly so I don't go anymore. And, and you know, I, I constantly run into people like that. And the truth is, we, God is preparing us to be on a mission. And in order for us to be an ambassador for Christ, to represent Jesus in this world, we've got to hear what James is saying. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 today. We're going to kind of, I'm going to summarize what we said last week if you weren't here, just very quickly. Then we're going to focus in on 6 through 10. That's where we're going to be today. But we're calling the series, um, as you see behind us, Every Step Forward, because that's what James is doing. James is moving us to walk with Jesus. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? And let's read James chapter, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this. James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, <clears throat> really, real quickly, let's recap where we were last week. Last week we said we've got to pinpoint the source of our conflict. And, and, and to do that, sometimes we fight and we have arguments in our homes, in our churches, at work, in our, in our, in our lives because we we have this problem with our desires. That's what James is saying in verses one through six. He's saying, look, you, you're, you're, when your desires get out of control, you have trouble. 
And we live in this world where pleasure has become the number one problem. We, 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 we pursue pleasure. It's why in the United States we are struggling with pain pills. We, we are struggling with these social issues because we want to mask our pain. We, we, we want to have pleasure in our lives. Anything that's not pleasurable, we reject. And it's important that we, we, we recognize that, that he, God's teaching us that when you have fights, when you have quarrels, it's because these desires are out of control. You got to make sure you control your desires. You know, 4-2, look at verse 2. He says, you desire, do not have, so you murder. When my wants conflict with your wants, sparks are going to fly. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So when we leave the boundaries that God establishes, we have conflict. And it's important that we understand that God has put boundaries in our lives to help us. And I run into people all the time that say, oh, why would you follow all the rules that God lays out? The reason is because it's the best thing for you. It's the best thing to do. And to reject God's rules, to reject God's guidelines is simply foolish. And so don't do that. And I want to challenge you, if you're sitting here today and you're like, no, I want to do it my way, you're going to always be frustrated. You're going to always struggle. You're going to always be, uh, not be content with where you are. Now, now look at this. Verse 4, you know, you could almost say it's almost like he's running for office, right? Because he's offensive right here. He says, verse 4, you adulterous people. He, he just calls them out. You are being adulterous because you are becoming a friend of the world. And, and he, he tells us that, that in, in verse 6, I want you to notice verse 6, and we're going to jump down here. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what he's quoting here? He's quoting, he's referring to Proverbs 3, 34. And this is what it says in Proverbs 3. He says, towards the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Now, it's interesting because sometimes when Solomon wrote that Proverbs 3.34, he says, towards the scorners, God is scornful. Because James is describing this, this challenge that we get, we scorn God. We put a stiff arm towards the Lord and say, God, I'm going to do it my way. And the Bible tells us that if you do that, God will be scornful to you. Now, that's harsh because we live in this world that doesn't understand. We think, oh, God's loving. Oh, God won't ever punish. Let me tell you something. God is just. And you don't, you can't understand the love of God until you understand the justness of God. And so don't be mistaken that, that if you are scornful to God, that will never work out. But he says, the, the, the Proverbs, writer of Proverbs says, Solomon says, but to the humble he gives favor. Now don't you want the favor of God on your life? Well, James is saying, look, these fights are coming up among us because we have been scorning God. We've put a stiff arm against God and we're falling in love with the world. Let's not miss that. Now, let's, let's look, look at verse 6 again. He says, so, so, but he gives more grace. He gives us more grace. 
This is why in Scripture it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, what's interesting, there's, there's lots of ways to understand grace. But I want you to understand it this way in this passage. That God is saying to us that, that grace is God's way of empowering us with the desire and the ability to do God's will. And this is what's amazing about God. He will give you the desire to serve him. But he will also give you the strength to accomplish it. And this is what God does. Now, when, when it comes to fighting, if you're fighting in your home, if you're fighting in your marriage, if you're struggling with relationships, hear this today. Because we can fix this fight. And I'll be honest with you, the title of this is, if you've seen it, if you notice it in your notes, it's called Fix the Fight. Now, we got to fix this tendency we have of arguing with one another and fighting with one another. And if we're going to fix this, number one, in your notes today, we've got to, I've got to surrender my heart to God's will, and I've got to yield to one another. That's point number one. So, again, surrender my heart to God's will, and then I've got to yield, we've got to yield to one another. Now, here, look at this. Look at verse, verse, verse 7. He says this, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The cure for conflict is to, is to humble yourself to God and then humble yourself to one another. What does it mean to submit to God? I want you to think about this. If you are going to live submitting to God, if, if you are going to live not arguing with one another, then it's going to take God's grace, right? It's going to take the strength that God supplies. If we're going to be a church that's not a, not a cruise ship, but a battleship, we're going to need the grace of God. We're going to need his strength. We're going to need what he gives us. And, 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 and I pray that we understand and you understand the joy and we all catch this, that if we're going to, going to really experience life, that begins with this, verse 7, submission to God. We're a church. We're, we've got to be a group of people that lives our lives with this recognition, God, we will submit to you. Now, what does it mean to submit to God? It's, simple, it's pretty simple. Do what he says. You know, James is all about this, this making sure your actions are speaking. Do what he says. Submission to God is simply means that, that, that we place ourselves under his direction and we obey what he tells us to do. In his word. And, and when, when we obey what he tells us to do, life goes better. Your life will go better if you submit to God. It's that simple. This is why James looks at these people and says, submit to God. And, and, and you, can't, you can't say, obey the Lord, 
without also recognizing that we need to submit to one another. We've studied this in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. He says, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And see, when, when you can't say, let's obey God without submitting to each other, helping one another, learning from one another. And I want you to know, this is the problem that James is facing in his church. They're fighting with one another. They're unwilling to submit to one another, which basically reveals a heart that is unwilling to submit to God. And this is something we, I pray we catch that we are a church that lives in submission to God and we learn from one another. We submit to one another. Humble yourselves to God and that's, that's the first key of, of, of fixing the fight in your marriage. If you're struggling as a husband and wife, if you're fighting with one another, look inside your heart and go, why are we fighting? Maybe it's because we're not submitting to the voice of the Lord. If you're fighting as a parent with your kids, stop and come together and say, are we submitting to the Lord in our lives? If we're fighting in our church, we need, if we ever have fights that rise up in our church, we need to stop and say, wait, wait, let's submit to the Lord. And that's the practice that James is laying out. Now, now look at this. The second step to fixing the fighting is we've got to identify the real enemy that we're facing. Look at this. He said, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, right? So, so we got to recognize that in your families, in, your, in our lives, as believers. Now, we got to understand, James is writing to believers here. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you've not yet trusted Christ, the first step for you is to come to Jesus. But these are believers. These are people that know better. These are people that have been touched by the grace of God, and he says, look, you've got to resist the devil. You've got to know the enemy you're fighting. And, and, and it says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, right? Now, we, we, our real enemy is not each other. Our real enemy is the evil one. First Peter reveals a little bit about him. I want you to see what Peter says. I've got it on the screen behind me. He says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, again, same theme, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So the, the, the person that Satan wants to devour is you and me. And we gotta recognize that we are facing an enemy and it's not one another. So if you're fighting, if you have a conflict with someone in church, then recognize you're not, you're not, they're not your enemy. Satan is. Satan comes against us. He attacks us. And so, so basically, if you get up in the morning and, and you're not battling Satan, you may be going in the same direction as him, right? We got to recognize as followers of Christ, we face a real enemy. 
And, 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 and the scripture says that when we draw near to God, we're to resist the devil. And when we submit to God, the devil flees from us. When we come to God, he flees, he runs, he goes away from us. And this is why we've got to continue this challenge of, of, of coming to the Lord, submitting to the Lord. Like the song we sang, Lord, we're going to come to the altar. Don't be mistaken that the altar is the, are these steps. The altar is someplace you should go every day. The altar of Christ saying, Lord, I want to come to you with my sin. I want to come to you. And see, that word resist there in James, it's a war term. It means to be prepared, to stand against, to withstand an attack. The devil wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy everything in your life. He wants to destroy your relationships because he hates you. And see, we're a battleship, and we've got to recognize who our enemy is. And this is important. You know, um, You've got to learn to take some defensive action in your life. And I pray that we, we recognize that Satan is the source of conflict and he's the one we should stand against. Now, if we're going to fix fighting, and I want you to see this today, third, number three in your notes is, is we've got to act on God's cl very clear voice in, in my life. If I'm going to fix fighting, I'm going to act on God's very clear voice. Look at this, we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Then James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And see, if you have conflict in your life, if you're fighting and quarreling, if, you, if, you're, if there's anger stirring in your life, you gotta draw near to Jesus. And see, it's interesting, last week, all through this passage, if you look, if you look at 1 through 10, James says that they look, you got to learn to pray. He says in like verse 3, you have, but you don't, you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask wrongly. We've got to pray. We've got to come to the Lord. And, and we, we come to him by getting on our knees and praying. And, and you know, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but, by every, by, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So it's important that we learn to pray. That's part of drawing near to God. When you get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm going to come and pray to you. When's the last time you had a fight with somebody? And you looked at them or with your wife or your husband or your children. And you said, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's come and let's just, let's go to our knees right now. And let's really go to the Lord on this. Let's draw near to him. I'm not talking about the Lord, let's pray for our food. Thank you, Lord, for our food. Amen. I'm talking about really coming and saying, God, we're drawing near to you. When you do that, in your marriage, with your children, in your church, th those are the things that fix the fighting. Let's remember this. It's like that old song that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So for us right now, as we experience the 
the turmoil in our family of seeing a daughter leave our home. We're drawn to our knees. Lord, help us. Help her. What, whatever you're facing today, this, this habit of saying, God, we're going to draw near to you. Now, now, I don't want you to miss verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you, right? Sometimes we stop there and go, that's neat. That's so great that we can draw near to God, and he'll come near to us. But don't miss this right here. Don't miss the next part of James chapter 4. Look what he says. Come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Then he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? Don't stop at draw near to God and he'll draw near to me without recognizing what you're drawing near to God to do. You draw near to God and you're saying, God, I'm going to wash my hands. You see, remember when Jesus was with Peter and, 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 and they had the conflict over the foot washing? Remember that? P Peter was like, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. And then Peter got cocky and said, okay, wash my whole body too. And Jesus said to him, he said, look, Peter, you're already clean, but your feet are dirty. Give me your feet see, as Christians, sometimes we wade into sin. And see, right here, James is saying, look, you've got to wash your hands, you sinners. We've got to come and deal with our sin. Don't miss that. And look, look, how, he, look how we deal with it. He says, um, wash your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then he says, he, he goes on and says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, your sin is a big deal. And the first thing, when you draw near to God, and I want you to see this, and you ought to write this down. I've got it on the screen. What it means to draw near to God, it means turning away from known sin. It means it's this act of our will that, Lord, right now, I'm going to turn away from this sin that I, am, I have in my life. So often, we think sin is no big deal. Or we think, oh, we got this. We, I can do this rebellious thing against, even though God says I shouldn't do it, it's not going to affect me. But let me tell you something right here. James is saying, you wash your hands. You wash them. Wash your hands, you sinners. And, and that means you're coming and saying, God, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest about the things that I'm doing wrong. And this is perfect in conflict because when you're mad at somebody, so often we're looking at what they do, not admitting what we've done, right? This is why James is like, look, you've got to get right with the Lord. And, 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 and I, it's so interesting because he's like, turn your joy to gloom, your mourn, because sin's a big deal. Your sin is why Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and went to the cross. You don't think God thinks your sin is a big deal? It's a big deal. Your rebellion is a big deal. My rebellion is a big deal. It is. And we're to turn from this. We're to turn away from this. 
And so my prayer today is that when you draw near to God, that you don't draw near without saying, God, forgive me. Look at the, I, I confess this habit. That, that's what it means. Wash your hands, you sinners. Look at this. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. How can we do this? How do we purify our hearts? And, and see, we, we've, we've kind of developed in our country and in our world this McDonald's view of spirituality. Hey, preacher, come and tell me, just preach a sermon that, that's, that's entertaining, and I'm going to go home and go, that was neat, I went to church today. But see, McDonald's spirituality, fast food spiritual lessons, is not really where God, what God has prepared you to embrace, when you think about purifying your hearts, what does that mean? There's another thing you ought to write down. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what I think he's saying here? It's a challenge to be spiritually disciplined. And see, I think that we can do this by becoming spiritually disciplined. And this is something I, uh, that, that, that we've got to grow in. We've got to grow up in our disciplines. And, and we make Christianity easy. And let me tell you something, following Jesus will never be easy. It's never going to be easy. And if it is easy for you, then you're not doing it right. Because we are facing an enemy that hates us, that hates you, that wants to destroy you. And so this is why we've got to catch this passion to build spiritual disciplines in our lives. James is saying, really, I, I think a lot of your fights are coming because these things that are warring within you. So how do you wash your hands? How do you purify your own heart? Well, I want to give you six spiritual disciplines. And these are six things that we're going to be working on over the next few years. And, and these, if, if you're wondering, what disciplines, where do I start? What do spiritual disciplines look like? Well, number one is this, Bible study. You've got to learn how to study the Bible. And this is important. You've got to learn what God's Word says. You've got to learn how to, how to understand it, how to look at it, how to, how to interpret it. And not just look at the Bible and go, what does this mean in 2016? But what does the Bible really mean? What's it saying? You can't, this is why you can't read, draw near to God and he will draw near to you without catching the next part, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. You know what double-minded means? It means this idea that you don't know what's true or what's right. And what spiritual disciplines do when you learn to study the Bible, you learn to understand what is right because you learn to, to see what the Bible really says. And this is why you can't just rely on me as your pastor to, to be the only one that disciples you. If, you're only, if the only time you eat spiritually is when you come hear me preach, I hope I get better at preaching. I'm trying to get better. But, but the reality is you've got to eat more than what I am feeding you. You've got to learn to study the Bible. You've got to learn to pray. James is talking about this. You learn to communicate with God. Prayer is not just you talking to God. Prayer is this two-way communication where God speaks to you. These are spiritual disciplines. This is how you can learn to purify your heart. You know, you gotta learn to, to serve. Learn to serve. Do something for someone else without any expectation of anything in return. Some of you are, are struggling spiritually because you're not serving. You're, 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 you're like the... 
um, you're, you're just eating spiritually and you're just getting fat and slow. You're not working out. Okay, service, you know what I see service? Service is like working out. We probably ought to, right? I ran this morning, not because I, I loved it, because I'm trying to lose my belly. You know, my son doesn't have one, and he makes fun of mine. Serve. Every, we've got a job to do. You may be bored spiritually because you're not serving. And if you're bored, something's wrong. Serve. Learn to serve. That's a discipline. Scripture memory. Often I'm saying, hey, you ought to memorize this passage. You know, uh, you, you, ought to, you, ought to, you ought to put that passage to memory. You'll hear me say that often. And I hear people go, oh, that's hard. Yeah, you're right. It's hard. It takes work. It takes effort. But when you put God's word in your mind... You know what happens? When you're tempted, Satan comes against you, he'll put that scripture to your mind and he'll strengthen you. That's part of purifying your heart. Another discipline, meditation, journaling. We think of meditation as the chubby Buddhist guy going, you know, emptying your mind. No, meditation is you're filling your mind with the word of God. You're filling your heart with what God says. We've got to learn to meditate. We've got to write things down. This is why we have notes. You know, we write, write them down. You know, this is important. The last one, time with the giants. It's another spiritual discipline. This week, I, I was thinking about this passage, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, so I thought, you know, I need to reconnect with this incredible book. I, wanna, I, I got to rub shoulders with a giant of the faith this week. And I, and I use him probably way too much. His name's C.S. Lewis. And I read his book, The Screwtape Letters. And if you've never read that, that's an incredible book. And it's very creative about how Satan attacks us. That, that was rubbing shoulders with this giant of the faith that walked with God that I want to learn from. And let me tell you something, that's a spiritual discipline. You ought to read, and you, now it's hard to read that book because it's British and, it's, and it's, it was written in the 40s. But, but you know what, you've got to you, read something that strengthens you. Don't just read, I don't even know who a popular novelist is, Jane something. Read something that stretches your mind, that pushes you spiritually. If, if you only read for entertainment, you're, you're not going to grow. Grow. I'll preach too long. Sorry, I've had a long weekend, so I'm making you have a long one too. <laughs> so, hey, let's grow up. That's what James is saying. If you don't know Jesus today, it starts there. It starts knowing Jesus. We're going to have an invitation, so I want you to stand where you are. And if God has spoken to you, maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to come and, and just begin that process of saying, God, I'm going to wash my hands right now. I'm going to get on my knees, and Lord, maybe you just can get on your knees maybe where you are. And just do this, Lord, I'm, I'm, I gotta get right with you. Lord, help me purify my heart. Help me grow in discipline. Let's be a battleship, right? Don't you wanna be on a battleship? 
when you get to the end of your life, you're not going to say, oh, I went on that cruise. You're going to say, we made a difference, right? Vacations are great, and we should take them. But this isn't our vacation. This is our mission. Let's serve well. Lord Jesus, move us. Thank you for your help today.